Again, we open our Bibles to Psalm 32, and our verse this evening uh, will be verse 6, which we've sung together this Psalm through 1, 1 through 6 already, Psalm 32. That'll be our main verse we'll be looking at. But as I mentioned to you, we're also going to turn to Romans chapter 4 to see how Paul uh, quotes and applies some of this Psalm this evening. And we're also going to be turning ahead to Psalm 69 for a number of verses that will relate well, because there's quite a few of them. I think it'd be good to look at these verses together. And I want to take you with me to Romans 4, because I think it's really important to recognize this is Psalm 32 being quoted, and sometimes just looking at it together, uh, that can be helpful to kind of get that to, to, to latch there. So, But our scripture for this evening uh, is Psalm 32, verse 6. And I'm just going to only read that now. Hear now the word of the Lord. Psalm 32, verse 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto thee. Since it's one verse, let me read that again, and then I want to highlight by repetition the last part of it, which is the the main phrase we're going to be giving ourselves to thinking about this evening. Again, Psalm 32, verse 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto me. A Christian is not exempt from the stormy waters, the stormy waves of life on earth. Those waves and storms impact us too. They smack on us too. And as we've considered this morning, particularly a Christian has waves of different kinds of things rushing against them, seeking to overwhelm them and drown them. But what's different is the Christian does not find these waves to capsize them. These waves do not drown him. How is it that these waves and floods of life, as we hear about in our scripture tonight, how is it that they won't reach him? How is it that they won't drown him? Well, just like Noah in the ark with his family, covered by God's ark. Oh, the waters are right beneath their feet and smashing against them, as it were, and having an effect in mist, having an effect on where they need to go and be. But it doesn't drown them because they're in the ark. On this verse, the Puritan David Dixon writes, It is possible that a godly man may be in the midst of the waters of sore troubles, and yet these troubles not come near unto him because God can furnish the man an ark in Christ, whereby he shall swim above the deluge. And when God keepeth off trouble, that it proveth not harmful. In fact, as we were preaching through that text in Genesis, the message was something about along the lines of the the floodwaters and judgment in the earth that bring them down and consume them are actually what lifts up the church. God has a division. God has a a special protection of his church. He protects us in his ark, protects us in Christ. God's people find him at every moment in prayer 
where they also find that God will not let them be overcome by adversity. I give that to you as the main idea of our verse as we're honing in on the second part in its context. God's people find him at every moment in prayer. And it's in prayer there at every moment where they also find that God will not let them be overcome by adversity. And I want to remind you as, go on, as we go on, this is, a, this is a metaphor, of course. And the adversity we have particularly is from our adversary, the devil. The flood waters will not literally reach you, you could translate it in the Hebrew. They may wet your feet, but they won't flood over your head. They may moisten your face, but they won't pour into your lungs. Now, while it's wise to think about having this verse to quote, uh, in a temporal calamity, if there's a tsunami or some kind of enormous flood coming through, it wouldn't be wrong to think of this verse and quote it and ask for God's deliverance. Uh, you know, there are times in history where we see like the Red Sea, the Jordan River, Jonah and the whale, Peter walking and then being pulled out of the water. There are times where that's literally what's being spoken of or what's happening. But here it's speaking not of the miraculous, but of the metaphorical. So the floodwaters can be understood And as we look at other scriptures that speak like this, to recognize this is a metaphor of how God delivers us from all the kinds of things that feel as if they will overtake us and destroy us, as if a big tsunami is coming in over us, topple our heads and drown us. And so this is a figure of speech. It's a metaphor to make a point. God often speaks in these kinds of ways to really drive home to us a point. You feel like you're being overwhelmed. You feel like you're going to be driven under and be destroyed. You feel like so much is happening, flooding over you, including your sins. God says, I won't let it reach you. I'll keep you above it. I'll keep you safe. And we can look at some other scriptures to help us recognize the aspect of this metaphor, and then we'll come back to it. Psalm 18, verses 4 to 6, and then verses 15 to 16, David says, The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. Then the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke. O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils, he sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. Well, David wasn't there at the Red Sea. And we know God does not literally have nostrils, but like by his strength, he's speaking figuratively to think about how God's so personally involved in saving us. But notice notice when we talk about God saving us, not letting the floods reach us, not letting them overtake us, that is. One of the things it says there in Psalm 18, the floods of ungodly men. He's speaking in these images of the floods of waters, but it's as if a whole bunch of people, just like a big wave, is crashing down us ungodly men. David is speaking figuratively, and he can speak about that experience in great detail. Another example is Psalm 144, verses 7 to 8. Send thine hand from above. 
rid me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. So in this case, he's asking God to deliver them of the great waters, but he's describing it as the hand of strange children. So it's like this big hand of mighty waters about to pound down as a wave on him, but strange children will be the enemies, those against his church, those against God. So we see these images of floods, ungodly men, uh, the hand of strange children, the sorrows of death, the sorrows of hell, as if they're consuming and will put us down and out. What are the waters that David's speaking about in in this verse? Psalm 32, verse 6. Notice what it says here at the beginning. For this, for this. What's he referring to? He's saying this in relation to what he's just said in the previous verses. Well, The waters that are flooding over David that he's so thankful will not overtake him. We can see at first in verse 5 what he's referring to figuratively. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Now, look back to verses 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. What he's talking about with the floodwaters not touching him is his own sins and the wrath of God due to him for those sins. Psalm 32 is a parallel psalm to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is more direct in what it's about in its title. Nathan the prophet comes to David and deals with him directly about his sin with Bathsheba of adultery and then his sin of murder, trying to cover it up. And then Psalm 51 is this expression of repentance by David. Psalm 32 is a parallel situation and account of that. And so you can understand why David says, blessed is the man whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is not covered. David is flooded over with guilt for his sins, just as we should be. You know, when we really stop and think about all our sins against God, it doesn't have to be the great ones, it's all of them. And the wrath of God that should pour over us, you know, it's described in the Revelation you know, the winepress of God's wrath over those who do not turn to him in repentance. The blood is up to the heads of the horses of the justice that God will bring out on those who are not in Christ and did not turn to the blood of Christ instead to cover over their sins. But David says, how blessed to have my sins covered. I didn't cover over them. I confessed them, he says. And so God has covered over my sins with the blood of Christ. It's the flood of his sins that should reach and destroy him even at this moment. It's the flood of his guilt and humiliation and fear. He says, how blessed am I, O Lord, that you have protected me from this reaching me. My sin and my guilt, you've protected me. 
He's saying, my sins and the consequences of my sins and the way that sin can just build up more and more and take you over and cover you over, not only in guilt, but its grip. I thank you, God, that you've taken me and saved me from that flood. And beloved, if you aren't touched by that more than you are concerned about the flood of your enemies, then you don't understand how serious are your sins, because that's your my greatest concern. And the guilt that takes us over and then causes us to be stupid about how we do all our life. Are we not blessed to have Christ protect us from that tsunami of our sin and guilt and wrath due for us? Put at bay as God puts us in the ark of Christ. Paul thinks so. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4, please. We'll come back to this. Romans chapter 4. Romans 4, verses 5 to 8. So I want you to recognize some of your Bibles might note of this, but Romans 4, verses 5 to 8 is directly quoting Psalm 32. In particular, verse 2. I'm I'm not going to get into his argument in the earlier verses. I'm just going to restrict ourselves to see the section that he's quoting and applying of Psalm 32 here. But to him that worketh not, verse 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Notice how he applies that. He's actually making a positive thing. Not only does God not impute our sins against us, how can that be? Because he floods us with the blood of Christ. He imputes Christ's righteousness into us. And that is far deeper and far wider and far bigger than the tsunami of our sins. And he says, how blessed is it that we're even imputed with God's righteousness. And he's, he's attributing David to that, though David's saying how blessed it is not to be imputed with the flood of our sins. But we're protected from that flood because the tsunami, the great mighty waves of Christ's blood crash against and push it out in a way it's far stronger the current you know the tide goes back out can't can't touch us because of the strength of the blood of christ then verse eight blessed is the man to whom the lord will not impute sin paul thinks it's pretty significant he quotes this psalm and these verses and understands the context with david again remember that jesus says we are all guilty of adultery We are all guilty of murder. How blessed are we, Christian, to have the blood of Christ cover our sins so that our sins and our overflowing guilt due to us for sin and our overflowing emotions that could control us, though we know we're forgiven, and our overflowing uh, being controlled by sin unless we let the blood of Christ conquer it, wash us, regenerate us, strengthen us, how blessed are we. We can understand in a way, therefore, how God uses even the sins of his people for his purpose to lift them up to heaven. Even the things that Satan would use as our adversary against us in adversity to bring us down and have us drown in guilt and sorrow. Even that God uses, ultimately. It's amazing to think about. And I'm going to read for you what I love to go to, uh, often go to in pastoral counseling, uh, Chapter 5 of the Confession of Faith on Providence. 
you know, the question is, if, if God is sovereign, how can he allow sin? And uh, there's different ways it's spoken of. Section 6 is how does he allow sin? How does that relate to the wicked, to the reprobate? But section 5 is how does he let his own people sin? And that's what I want to read with you. Uh, chapter 5 of the Confession on Providence, section 5. Thinking about it related to our message tonight. The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. So when you might start to be in danger of believing the adversary that you can't be forgiven anymore, that you can never have victory in these things, you remember that God's uh, great abounding grace through the blood of Christ of the everlasting covenant pushes that all out to sea as you wade in grace and mercy and are safe. Saints in Christ, even if a literal tsunami should take you under to a watery grave, yet you would immediately find yourself wading in the refreshing waters of life in heaven as you eat of the tree of life on both its banks. More importantly, You will not be drunk down into the world of the dead treading in the lake of fire. Never to show your head again in the land of the living. Indeed, therefore will not we fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Psalm 46, verses 2 to 4. May your prayer be much of Psalm 69. Would you turn ahead with me to... Psalm 69. Well, back, I guess, if you're still in Romans 5 with me, but ahead if you're still at Psalm 32. Turn with me to Psalm 69, and as we're thinking of these things, may Psalm 69 give us words as our, as our prayer, as our song. First of all, verses 1 to 3. Psalm 69, verses 1 to 3. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am coming to the deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. Verse 5. O God, thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. 
verses 13 to 17. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O God, in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me, in the truth of thy salvation. Deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me, and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, and hide not thy face from thy servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song, and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Verse 32. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. And lastly, verses 34 through the end of the psalm. Let the heaven and earth praise him, the seas, and everything that moveth therein. For God will save Zion and will build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and have it in possession. The seed also of his servants shall inherit it, and they that love his name shall dwell therein. Remember Jonah? Remember when Jonah was choking with seaweed around his neck, about to bury him in the ocean's floor? He prayed toward the temple. And God sent the great fish to save him and spit him on the sandy beach with salty breeze and sunny warmth. God may not do such a miracle today, and we are the temple throughout the earth today. The point is turning to God and his presence with us through Christ. But if Jesus can easily fish a coin out of the ocean between two gills to pay a tax. He can and he will rescue you from being overcome, reached, taken by this world's floodwaters. And he can keep you from capsizing within his church the ballast of the Christian security. In fact, the ark is the church. Remember, it was God who shut the door of the ark and kept his people safe from the flood. He was allowing to swallow up the rest of the world. Remember, it's God himself who made the waters. So as part of the body of Jesus Christ, go away with this encouragement. God will keep you from drowning Think of all those different images that were given to us of the floodwaters, enemies, troubles of the world, but in particular, in context with this psalm, your sins. And that's the greatest thing to be encouraged about, beloved. God will keep you from drowning in your sins. He saved you from the guilt of your sin in the blood of Christ. What's more, he saved you from the grip of your sins. God will keep you from drowning in your sins.
if you'll excuse the mixed metaphor, keep your hand to the plow. Let us pray. Almighty God in heaven, you who made the waters, you who caused the flood from the waters from in the earth and the waters from the heaven, you, O Lord, who did bring judgment in a flood, you who parted the waters of the Red Sea and the Jordan River, you, Lord Jesus Christ, who commanded the waves and they were still, you who walked upon the water and even made Peter walk on the water and even lifted him up out of the water and brought him onto the boat, It is no big thing for you to keep the waters from overwhelming us. And in particular, we do thank you that you will not let the floodwaters of our sins drown us. Keep us, O Lord, in your church. Keep us floating above the waters. Protect us from our adversaries. Protect us from our adversities. Lord, protect us from ourself. Lift us up. In Christ, keep us safe in the blood of Christ, for he is our propitiation. And Lord, let us remember how blessed we are to be saved and to have the promise that we who have been called will also have been justified and are also glorified. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, we confess we often feel overwhelmed with our enemies. We feel overwhelmed with the floods of attacks. Some things we've brought upon ourselves, we feel overwhelmed especially with our sins. Thank you for the reminder that you have paid for our sins in full. O Lord, cause us to lift our eyes up to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And let us rest in his body, the church, the ark. And let us proclaim how blessed we are. In Jesus' name, and all your people said, Amen.